The sermon text this morning is from the book of Proverbs, chapter 27, verses 5 through 10. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. One who is full loathes honey, but to one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. When you think about um, friendship, true friendship, it's really a unique thing. It's a good thing, but I think it's a unique thing to have a true friend. So according to the American Sociological Review, uh, 50% of Americans have only two friends. That's down from six 25 years ago. And a full 25% of Americans would say they don't have one close friend. True friendship is absolutely unique. Corresponding to this would be a survey done by Cigna Insurance Company. They found that among their customers, 54% said that no one really knew them. Now you're asking, what's Cigna, an insurance company, worried about these sociological points? Well, very much. I mean, to be lonely is to lead to depression, to eating disorders, to abuse of alcohol, to suicide. It matters for our personal health very much. What we see is that friendship is a, is a universal need. I mean, think of some of the greatest and the funniest sitcoms that, that we diet on. I mean, Cheers, Seinfeld, Friends, uh, The Big Bang Theory. I mean, it's centered around the nature of friendship. Now, maybe some of you have close friendships. Many of us have suffered <clears throat> the loss of friendship or have been taken advantage of, or we've had fair-weather friends, or <clears throat> you know, they kind of just enjoy us when things are well and then depart from us when things are poor. What are your friendships like? If you were to describe your friendships, how would you describe them? Intimate, deep, shallow, thin, how many of you would turn in hundreds of your Facebook friends for just one actual real friend? What's it even mean to be a friend anyways? Do you think you're a good friend? Do you want one? Well, you know, Proverbs, we've been looking through this book, and uh, Proverbs is really a book of wisdom. It's God's wisdom for his image bearers to live skillfully in a broken world. Let me say that again. Uh, Proverbs is really God's wisdom given to people, his image bearers, so that we can navigate skillfully in a broken world. It, it's a theological book, no doubt. It's practical, but it's theological. We just say it's like theology in street clothes, or it's theology in working clothes. It's practical, it's functional. We're kind of going through this book just... Yeah, I do the topical series once a year just to draw out of the book of Proverbs the truth that it has on friendship, and it really speaks to friendship a lot. In fact, one scholar said this, the book of Proverbs might almost be called a treatise on friendship. 
There is no book, even in classical literature, which so exalts the idea of friendship and is so anxious to have it truly valued and carefully kept. Now, many of you here, you've been at church a long time, you've heard sermons on relationships in the church and relationships in the home, parenting and children, but very few times do we hear something on what it means to be a friend. Here's what we want to do. I'm going to look at the idea of friendship in three ways. First, there's a need for friendship. I will argue that you need it desperately. In fact, you've been created for it, and to not have it, you're going to be less, less than, less than you can be. And, and then secondly, I want to argue that there are characteristics to friendship. There's all kinds of friends and all kinds of levels of friends. But I want to argue that there is a biblical friendship and the characteristics we find clearly in the pages in Proverbs. And then last, I want to speak to you about cultivating this friendship. In other words, we all want to have a friend, but we've got to first be a friend. So how do we cultivate a friendship? So first, this need for friendship. You know, the idea of friendship isn't our idea. I mean, it's God's idea, right? So the Christian faith is unique in all monotheistic religions that God exists. He's revealed himself as one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. There is an intimacy and a, a fellowship, a friendship among all the God's this triune God, right? Father, Son, and Spirit. And this God, who has revealed himself in a triune way, has created us in his image. So in Genesis 1.26, he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. He created him. So we have been made like God. If God exists in fellowship, then we will need fellowship just as he does. And, and this is borne out. From chapter 1, we move to chapter 2 of Genesis. Chapter 2, 18, when God looks at the man, he says it's not good. So God's judgment on creation, it's not good that he's alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. And so he creates the woman. Equal in all ways, yet diverse. Equal and yet diverse. But she is his friend. God fashions two people to be friends. This is what it means to bear the image of God, is to be in friendship with others. You see that right in the first two chapters of Genesis. Now, what's the nature of this friendship? Well, it's marked by nakedness and, and uh, unashamedness. Now, it's not, don't look at that strictly in sexual ways. I mean, look at it in the way of just, you know, affection, intimacy. That, that's the mark, that kind of nakedness, that transparency. So image bearers of God will want to be in, will need to be in friendship with others. Augustine, the great church father, fourth century, he says, there are two things essential in this world. One is life, the other is friendship. It's incredible. I mean, to put friendship up on par with life, do you think you have this kind of need? <clears throat> I think some of us have grown into these individualists that we've kind of insulated ourselves. We don't really need to have that kind of friendship. It's too costly, too difficult. <clears throat> or maybe you've been hurt before. Maybe you've been exploited or taken advantage of. And so you say, you know what? The safer way, insulate, isolate, let's finish life alone. I don't, <clears throat> don't want to put myself in harm's way again. You've been hurt by a friendship. You want to take the position. When I was growing up, we used to sing, never understood the words, but Paul Simon recorded a song, 
I am a rock, is what it was. It was in the 60s. And it's great, incredible, incredibly like depressing lyrics. Uh, but I love the song. But it's this. I've built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none can penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. I am a rock. I am an island. That's kind of his take on, this is how I'm going to get through life. I'm a rock. I'm an island. It's amazing. You know, you can build walls and they do protect you. But they also imprison you. And they keep you from being affected in very good ways from other people. To deny your need for friendship is to deny your own humanity. Now, some of you may not deny it, but you may think, well, I want certain friendships. You know, I want friendships built around shared interests. For example, kids the same age, sports, economic position, educational philosophy. I'm going to build friends around these shared kind of interests. And there's a modern term for that now called faction friendships. Faction friendships are those friendships that are, that are tied to social and political aims. And everything else really doesn't matter. And you kind of saw this in COVID, where people would align over COVID protocols going to church rather than the doctrine of the incarnation. If we agree on these protocols, then we're going to align together. Let me tell you, that's a dangerous way of building friendships. Because they're vulnerable because your interests change. You change. And Mary found out for me that the average friendship lasts about seven years. And, uh, and the reason it lasts about seven years is because people change, right? I mean, kids grow up. Your political leanings shift. Your economic position shifts. And you begin to have to keep fashioning new friendships for all the changing environments of your life. You have a need for friendship, but putting them simply around shared interests is a very vulnerable friendship. Now, some of us, we've been so burned, maybe we've just gone into a digital community, virtual friendships just through the internet. This is profoundly distressing, particularly for those who are younger. You know, and COVID has, again, exacerbated this. So from 2020 to 2022, we replaced, average American replaced 300 hours in a year with face-to-face, -face, whether it be at church or in the workplace or in the community, and we've replaced it with digital connections, with social media, with internet reading. We're losing the time with people. Now, the Christian would affirm we need to be friends. Now, listen, my sin and your sin complicates our friendship. There's no doubt about that. But it doesn't deny the need that we have to strive to be friends, to develop a friendship. It's not weakness to say, I need to have friends. It's not a weakness any more than it is to say, I have to eat and I have to drink. There is a fundamental need that we have to be friends. Fundamental need. In fact, C.S. Lewis said it this way. He says, friendship has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things which gives value to survival. It, we need it. Maybe right now you are struggling because of lack of friendship or, or loneliness. Or you feel like you'd be one of those 54% that says, no one really knows me. They know about the logistical stuff of my life. 
They know about my family. They may know about my circumstances, but they don't know me. Well, it is a place of difficulty because you were made to be known. Known by God, but also known by others. So this is the need that we have. So let's look at what kind of friendship we need because many times in our loneliness, we'll pursue people and we'll pursue things but for all the wrong reasons. And we'll develop friendships that are doomed to fail. So what is a friendship that truly gives life? Well, now we're kind of in the second bucket if you're a note taker. I know I just caused people all kinds of trouble. When is that point with the first point? Or is that the, when now he's got four points in the second one and three points in the third one? So I got four characteristics. We're in the second bucket, folks. We've moved. We've shifted. Need, first bucket, second bucket is characteristics. Four ideas. First, there is loyalty or constancy. So in Proverbs 17, 17, he says that a friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. Notice what he's saying here. A friend loves at all times. You know, family members, we think they're born for adversity. I mean, they're there when the going gets tough. But what he's saying is a friend is also there, but he's there all the time, not just for adversity. He's there for the good and the bad. He's there for the times of rejoicing, but also the times of distress. When life gets troubled and messy, the, the friend is there. The friend is there. Now, the family obviously has a role to play as well, but the friend wants to be there. At all times, he's there. You see the same thing in, in 1824. He says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, listen, you can have a lot of kind of acquaintances. He's not saying that's bad. He's just saying it's not friendship. Uh, friendship is not measured by quantity, but by quality. That a man may have many companions. He may still come to ruin because nobody's really his friend. But a friend sticks closer than a brother. Now, what's he mean by that? Well, I think brothers and sisters, they have that. They're honor-bound because they're family to help. But a friend chooses to. A friend wants to be there. A friend is willing to embrace the cost of inconvenience and loss of comfort so that they can be there in thick and thin. The friend is constant. It's loyal. Who has been with you? What, what friend has come to you in a time of darkness or trouble? Or, or to whom did you go? You, you heard someone was struggling and you went and sought to help them in their need. I mean, that's what a biblical friend is. Thick and thin, good and bad. A friend loves at all times. Uh, secondly, would be that a, a biblical friend would speak with candor, with honesty. Uh, they, they, would, they would say the things that need to be said, even, even difficult things, right? So in Proverbs uh, 17, 17, or excuse me, 27, 5, we uh, Miriam read it, it's better is open rebuke than hidden love. What's he mean by this? Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Well, hidden love is kind of that silence. You know, when you, you probably need to say something, but you don't want to rock the boat, you love them, you don't want to hurt them, and you just choose, eh, I don't think I'm going to say anything on this one. This is when silence is not golden. You know, better is open rebuke. A, a friend will, will see a, a person, a friend, moving in ruinous ways, and they're going to say something. They need to say something. They want to do it gently, of course. They want to do it wisely. 
But better is open rebuke than hidden love, than silent love. You say, well, I loved you, that's why I didn't say anything. Better is open rebuke. There's a place that we, a friend will say what needs to be said. In the very next verse, he says, Faithful are the wounds from a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. In other words, he's saying here, when a word, a corrective word, when candor needs to be exercised in a relationship between friends, to give false flattery or to ignore the situation is to be an enemy in that time. Uh, faithful, even though it may wound you to say it or to ask it. That's what a friend does. Faithful are the wounds. This, this, isn't, this isn't, I'm ticked off at your behavior and it's frustrating me, so I'm going to let you have it to straighten you up. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about speaking in a corrective way to a friend who's acting in ways that will ultimately result in something not good for them. It's not about you. It's about their well-being. Now, you may be thinking right now, well, can't you just accept me? I mean, can't you just accept me, warts and all? Well, what kind of friend would do that? Well, of course we accept you with warts and all. But do we want you to remain that way? I mean, doesn't a friend want to move you forward in becoming all that you can be? I mean, isn't that what a friend does? Yes, there's acceptance. But there's also a, a call to aspire to be more than you are. I mean, doesn't that, isn't that a fundamental belief for the Christian? We think God's changing us from glory to glory. So there's this call. And, and another thing is, you know, we have to be honest with each other. I mean, does anybody think they don't need points of correction through their life? I mean, do we have it here between the ears, between knowledge and experience, everything we need to know what to do and then have the power to do it? No. This isn't just for parenting to children. This is from brother to brother and sister to sister. When was the last time someone offered a word of correction? And how did you respond when they gave it to you? Did you bristle up? Did you harden up? Maybe you did. I have. I want to go back and apologize and say, thank you, I didn't need that. I didn't receive it well. Apologize. It's my pride, arrogance. Forgive me. But, but I hear you. I need to hear that. Thank you. You know, so, so candor, that's a biblical friendship. Thirdly is, is good godly counsel. You know, you see this in, in fact, Oscar Wilde. I love this one. Oscar Wilde, the great Irish playwright, he says, a good friend stabs you in the front. A good friend stabs you in the front. Now, that's a little dark, I get, but, you know, the idea of being up front with you and corrective for your good. Okay, wise counsel, 27.9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. In, in terms of how we're to see each other, in terms of our biblical friendships, there has to be a place where we're offering counsel to one another. Uh, counsel, not simply expedient or to be effective, but when we are to counsel each other, we are thinking what is best for them in light of God. So, so how would God have them move? A lot of times we may want to counsel to just the quickest route out of trouble. Or we may want to counsel to the, most, the quickest route to success. But what would God have them do? And is that our counsel? You know, we live in a very complicated world. The ethics facing us and the decisions that we're making, the changing economics, the economic changing times that we live in, the difficulty of family dynamics, it's really hard to know like, what to do in this situation. 
And a biblical friend is needed to help counsel you. And so in Proverbs 20, verse 5, he says that um, the purpose of a man's heart are like deep waters. They're very confusing. You know, when you look down at deep waters, you can't see. It's murky. It's dark. He says, but a man of understanding will help draw him out. So, so we need one another. Do you have a friend? Do you have a biblical friend who is earnest in his or her counsel to you in the complexities of life? And, and then the last characteristic of a biblical friendship would be spiritual concern. That, that we are to be concerned that we finish well. We in fact, Ray was praying for this in our time of prayer before the service, that we'd be prepared for the day. You know, that's what we're, we're on a pilgrimage, folks. This, it, this isn't home. It isn't. It's, it's going to be remade. It's going to be renewed. It's going to be new heavens, new earth. We're on a pilgrimage. Nobody's remaining here. And we need, we need help, spiritual concern. So, we have a warning, he says in 1629, a man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that's not good. So a man of violence wants to lead in a way that's not good. So correspondingly, a friend is one who wants to lead us in a way that is good. I mean, that's what a friend does. He's trying to, or she's trying to serve you in terms of uh, helping you walk in holiness, trying to see your joy in the faith increased. This is what Paul said. You know, when Paul writes to the Philippian church, he says, listen, I'd rather, I'd rather depart and be with God. And if any of us had two just amount of brains in our head, we'd agree with them. Of course I'd rather depart and be with God. But he says, on your account, I'm going to remain for the progress and joy of your faith. So Paul saw his goal as spiritually concerned for these souls. I want the progress. I want you to grow in the knowledge of God but I want your joy to increase. I want your affections for God. Don't want you to have big heads that are full with theology and little hearts that don't love. They've got to both grow. Progress in the faith and joy in the faith. This is what we're called to do for one another. Now, this is not an easy process, right? In Proverbs 17, 17, he says, um, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Now, if you've ever seen two pieces of iron come together, it's not quiet, produces heat, creates sparks. That's often what happens as we wrestle with one another, try to seek the spiritual good. This is what a friend does. So John Wesley wrote this in his journal in 89. That is 1789. He wrote, I know no other place under heaven where I can have some friends always at hand of the same judgment, engaged in the same studies, Persons who are awakened into the same conviction, they have but one work to do on earth, who see at a distance what that work is. They've devoted themselves to God. They follow after their Lord. They take up their cross daily. To have even a small number of such friends constantly watching over my soul and administering as need is reproof or advice with all plainness, is a blessing I know not where to find in any part of the kingdom. You know, we've, I grew up with this idea of you don't talk religion and you don't talk politics in social environments. Of course, the, the latter has been thrown out the door, but, but we don't talk about religion. That's a personal thing. Not so. A biblical friend is looking at you and wanting you to finish well, and they're going to invest themselves toward that end. 
Now, do these four things, you know, the idea of uh, um, honesty and speech, well, constancy in love, honesty in speech, wisdom in counsel, and spiritual concern, do they describe your relationship? Do they describe your friendships? And let me ask you this. If that was present in your life, can you imagine how your life would be different? To have someone like that constantly in your life. Well, can you imagine the change? I mean, this might be a point of repentance for us. We might just, for example, right now be caught up and say, you know, I haven't been that kind of friend. Well, remember, repentance is just the normal stuff that we do as Christians. Repentance is this, it's not saying, you know, I'm sorry, I kind of blew it last week. No, repentance is thinking about it, having contrition, making confession, and then, and then changing so that I won't. Now, we're going to falter again, but remember, repentance and faith, repentance and faith. We, we do that all the way until the end. It might be for some of you, you're like, I need a friend like that. I, I want a friend like that. I want to be a friend like that. Then ask God for grace that the Spirit, as Philip prayed, would convict us of these things, these softened hearts that receive the word, and it will bear fruit. So that, these are the characteristics of a biblical friendship. Okay, so we've looked at the need for friendship. We've seen the characteristics of a friend. Well, how do we cultivate it? How do we find a friend like this? As I said at the beginning, we, we really don't find them. We want to be one first. You don't want to collect friends. We want to cultivate this. So let me give you a few ideas about what you and I can do to be this kind of friend. First, <clears throat> it is important to select your friends wisely. Now, you think I'm being snooty here. I, I'm really not trying to be. Uh, Proverbs 12, he says, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way the wicked lead them astray. The reason he says this is because friends have an, a disproportionate influence in you and over you. And so to choose friends carelessly puts you under influences uh, that could be, again, to your ruin. The, the wise person in Proverbs is advised to avoid those who have an anger problem or those given to self-indulgent ways or those who are violent. It doesn't mean you don't minister to them. It doesn't mean you don't love them. It doesn't mean you don't invest your lives in them. But in terms of that friendship that we're talking about, there's a deep power of influencing. And this is why he says in chapter 13, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. You know, when growing up, of course, my parents would say, birds of a feather. I don't know that they say that anymore, but birds of a feather, they flock together. You know, or contrary to Donnie Osmond, one bad apple does spoil the whole bunch. It does spoil the whole bunch. In fact, my dad was raised in a time where they had apples in a barrel in the basement and they had to be turned every few days because if you didn't turn the apples, they bruise, and if they bruise, they bruise the other apples. So, so it's important to be aware. What does your friend, how is your, and here's something to consider. The friends that we're drawn to, it'll often say more about us than it will be to say about them. Why are we drawn to them? What do we want from them? Is it good? Is it right? And, uh, secondly, I would say honesty in speech. Now, I said that as a characteristic, but it is a way to cultivate. And we just heard all last week that the way we speak, remember, the power of life and death is in the tongue. So we have the capacity of ruining relationships. Think within your marriages or think within your other friendships. You know, a harsh word, 
a critical word, a contentious spirit, gossip, sarcasm. What does that do to a relationship? I mean, it, it strains it. It crushes it. We get scared because they're going to say something again. So we back up and we begin to create a little distance for self-protection. Proverbs speak to this, he says in 26, like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. You know those sarcastic comments? I was only kidding, lighten up a little bit. Well, you just tore my back up. I mean, you just shot me with a firebrand. You know, but it, it causes us to fear. So we have to be careful that our words can crush, but correspondingly, our words can give life. I mean, think about a friend encouraging you regarding the grace that they see. Maybe you've weathered a difficult spot and you've done it by faith and they say, you know, I was really encouraged on how you walked by faith in this difficult time. Or I, I've really been thankful to see God use you. You've counseled me in a way that's given me a lot of help and a lot of hope. I mean, think about how our words, when they're fit for the occasion and they're designed for the needs of the listener, not getting stuff off our chest, our words can give life. Think about how often do you encourage others with your words. I mean, it'll give life to a friendship. Well, not only that, but also being generous in judgment. You know, in any friendship, you're going to bang into each other and you're going to wound each other. And, and th there's a generosity there to overlook those kind of you know, the New Testament calls it a, a forbearance. You know, you turn quick and you hit somebody. I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. There has to be, in 1911, Proverbs 1911, it says, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. We don't have to always even the score. You know, if they say something rude to us, we don't need to say it back. It only kind of goes up and ratchets up the ladder of inflaming a difficulty. We want to be quick to forgive. We don't want to keep a record of wrongs. He says in 24, 29, do not say I'll do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. That is not that revenge quid pro quo. That, that isn't the way of cultivating a friendship. It's okay to just step back. Carol says it this way. She says, let it be words to the wind. Let it just be words to the wind. They were said, they hurt, just let them on go. Just move on from it. Don't keep it in a file that you can bring it up the next time they do something wrong. No, it's just words to the wind. You just let it go. Uh, another way to cultivate this relationship, uh, the last way would be simply to be vulnerable, to be open, you know, to, to be willing to be transparent with one another. You can't cultivate a friendship if you live in a silo. You can't cultivate a friendship if, if you can never let your guard down. Now, I know it exposes you. I know that. To be the first one to kind of share a struggle that they have is very vulnerable. They can take it and run with it. But I'm, I'm telling you, you will not hit the depth of friendship unless you can risk that. You know, C.S. Lewis in his book, Four Loves, uh, says that he says, eros, which is our word erotica, it's sexual love. He says, eros will have naked bodies, friendship, naked personalities. I mean, to be a friend, there has to be a nakedness. There has to be a vulnerability to one another 
if, if you can't do that. Now, it needs to be commensurate with the trust that's building. You know, when a person comes, hi, my name's Tom, and I just dumped my entire life on you, you probably have, probably have reason to pause, maybe take a step back. We might, Tom might be a stalker. You know, might be some problem here. And so it's got to be commensurate with the trust that builds. But that has to be in your mind that, that I want to be open. I, I, I want to be listening. I, I want to be hearing them. I want to be able to share with them. It, it's a bilateral thing. In fact, one author said, you know, many of us listen with an intent not to understand, but to reply. You know, we, we listen with an intent to reply, but we don't listen with an intent to understand. We want to have an answer ready, but we're not even really understanding what they're going through because we're listening with a different mode. So, so, so friends, when we have this intimacy, this vulnerability with one another, that's when I think life gets shared. In fact, J.C. Rawls says, a, a good friend will have your sorrow and double your joy. They'll have your sorrow because they're going to share it with you, they're going to bear the burden with you, and they'll double your joy because when you're rejoicing, they're going to rejoice with you. So, so here you have this idea of cultivating friendships. It takes time. You'll want the friendship faster than it will come. It takes time, and it takes effort. You have to be willing to be a friend. I think many of us struggle with having friends because maybe... We're not being friends. So, so, so we need to be a friend to have a friend. Now you think, well, that seems unfair. You know, I got to start first. Why can't they start? Well, I, I think we see this principle in the Christian faith. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will come to you as well. There is a, a priority for the Christian. We step forward first. Be a friend, and then you may find that you have many, many friends. Now, I know you hear this, you hear, okay, i got a need of friendship, here are the characteristics of it, here's how I'm to cultivate it, and we're still kind of intimidated right now, and we're still unsure, and I don't, I don't blame you for that. Uh, this is a difficult idea. In fact, the Proverbs would agree with you that it's not easy. He says in chapter 20, he says that uh, many men will proclaim their steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find but a faithful man who can find. In other words, many will talk about wanting to be friends. They'll talk about wanting to do these. They'll make promises, but they don't fulfill them. A faithful man who can find. Well, I've told you before that Proverbs is a gospel book. It's a gospel book both because it declares the wisdom of God, uh, but it also reveals to us that we cannot do these things. Right? I mean, we read these things, you've heard about words, and we're all convicted. We hear about friendship, we're all convicted. We're going to hear about money and anger and envy and pride, and we're all going to walk away with our toes a little sore. We think, I don't know that I can do this. Well, I'm thankful that when you meet that inability, I want you to rejoice. Because the intention of every book of the Bible is when you read it, you say, I can't do that. And, and, and it, it demands that you look for someone to help. That, that's, the, that's what God is trying to do. Give us this day our daily bread. Why don't we pray for weekly bread? Uh, because he's developing in us an awareness of our true dependence and need. And so for us to see these Proverbs and to say, I can't do them, that doesn't lead us to despair. It just leads us to delight in one who can do it. And, and that's why it's, it shouldn't surprise you 
when Jesus says, one greater than Solomon is among you. The wisdom of Solomon is great, but one greater than Solomon is among you. When Jesus said that, he wasn't saying, I'm smarter than Solomon. He's saying, all that Solomon said, I'm doing. I'm doing it in my life. See, Jesus has come to be, really, to example a friend. I mean, you see it in his constancy. In John 13, 1, it says he was faithful to the end. To the end. When he, when he knew his life was, when he knew his time was coming to depart, he was faithful to the end. He, he shows constancy, wisdom and counsel, spiritual concern, candor and speech. Jesus is the friend. He shows us an example. But folks, it's much more than that. Because an example can be very discouraging if we can never meet it. He hasn't just come to example. He's come to create a friendship. A friendship both with us and with the Father. I mean, think about it for a minute. Uh, Jesus Christ has come to lay down his life. It says in John 15, 13, he says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He's come for his friends to create a new friendship, a friendship with God and a friendship with one another. And Jesus has done this by laying down his life, by taking upon himself our sin and shame. Think about the ruination of the first friendship. You have the man and the wife with God, perfect fellowship, perfect friendship. They rebel against God. Our rebellion against God can be outright defiance. It can be casual ambivalence. Either way, we can often think that we're doing God a favor by thinking about him once a week. This kind of ambush, it ruined the relationship. They're removed from God. And by the way, they fought with each other. And their family fought. So you, you see enmity comes in all these relationships. Jesus has come to restore it. And he does it by laying down his life. This is the beauty of the gospel. Proverbs pushes us to say we need a gospel. We need one to come. The seed of the woman, that same seed of Abraham that would be a blessing to the nation, the same seed of David that would have an eternal kingdom, that son has come, and he's Jesus. He's greater than Solomon. He's forged his friendship. And that's what Jesus says, though. After saying, greater love has no one than this, and someone lays down his life for his friends, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master's doing but I've called you friends for all that I've heard from my Father I've made known to you. You now know what God would have us do. We're called to be good friends, and we can only do it through the power of the Spirit by faith. But first, we have to be friends with Christ. We have to, have to understand what it means to lay down your life for your friends because that's what we do for each other. It really does uh, call all of us to consider is he our friend? And I don't mean that in some hokey way. I mean, have you come to see him as one greater than Solomon? And have you, have you seen him as one that has been sent to be a friend, to reconcile us, and to give us his spirit so that now we can be friends with one another? I don't want to leave you on the edge. I don't want you to think, well, I, what am I to do? Let me appeal to you to ask, first, to ask God to reveal to you, have you been a friend? Maybe what do you need to reconcile? You know, what friendships have been burned down? 
over the years because you've held grudges or the sharp tongue that you lash them out with. Uh, think of repenting on those issues with the people and with God and then ask God to be a friend. Again, Ryle in his book, True Friendships, he says, uh, here's how you define a friend. If the doctor told you you had two weeks left to live, who would you want by your side? Who would you want? Who would you want to be the last person speaking to you before you leave this earth? That's a friend. Those are the friends we want to be. Let's just take a few minutes and ask God for grace to help rightly convict us and then lead us to a gospel hope, and then I'll pray for us.